I don't know if you've noticed, uh, maybe you haven't, but I've had four weeks off from preaching. So I'm a little bit fired up this morning. So hopefully you guys will help me out. Um, I'm going to need your help. The Lord uh, gave me a heads up this morning that it was going to be a little lighter crowd, like that a lot of people would be on their last hurrah before school starts. So I was, I was prepared for that. But what I wasn't prepared for, thank you guys for almost this whole second row being full. So thank you guys for doing that, for sitting up close to the front. Um, I hope I don't spit on you. Hey, uh, open your Bibles to Genesis should put up a sign that says splash zone. That's, that's only when, actually, that's only when Paul Mumal's here. Um, my wife always says that Paul will spit on you and I will sweat on you. Uh, open your Bibles to Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is where we're going to spend a good part of this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these around you. It's page 14 in this Bible, very, very early on. Um, let me ask you this. How many of you uh, work during the day? How many of you work uh, whatever your definition of during the day is. Okay. How many of you um, go to school during the day? Okay. How how many of you uh, take care of kids or a family or a house during the day? All right. So most of us, would you agree? Most of us have something that we do uh, during the day. And when we get home at night, do you have this time? Like at the end of the day, uh, and I'm not, I don't mean the end of the day, like 11 o'clock at night. I'm talking about like six, seven o'clock at night or whatever it is, a couple hours after you get home from work or school or whatever you do. You have this time where you just need some me time. You just need some me time sometimes. Like, like you want to sit in front of the TV and veg out, uh, chill for a bit. I, like, I want to be like one of those people on Wally when I get home. You know what I'm talking about? Like you just like... A cold drink in one hand, TV remote in the other, and like just chilling. In fact, this is what I'm going to work. This is my afternoon project today. I'm going to build one of these chairs that has a TV attached to the front and a cup holder to the right. Don't, don't, don't we all have times like that? Do you, have, do you have times when you, like, I don't want to be around anybody, right? I don't, I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to do chores. I just want to, to veg out and do what I want to do. How many of you have that time usually at the end of the day? Yeah, we are lazy sons of guns, aren't we? <laughs> No, not really. But, but most of us, I think, most of us have a tendency, at least at times, to put our own interests first, right? We have a tendency to look at what we want and, and to do that first. Now, that's not a character trait that we see in God. In fact, what we see in God is a self-sacrificing God. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue in our series called The Father Is. So over the, the eight weeks of this series, what we're doing is we're looking at the attributes of God, eight attributes, eight things that we can know are true about him. And the reason this is important, even though it maybe doesn't have like that um, really solid uh, one practical takeaway like you've come to expect from Genesis Church in this eight weeks, the reason it's important that you understand these things about God is so that when we face like trials, when we uh, face difficulties in our lives, when, when we face the unexpected that we can hold firm to who we know that God is, or, or at least have some perspective when tough times hit, right? A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so it's important that you understand in your mind, like who God really is. What does scripture say about him? That even when you don't understand what's happening to you, or what do I do now? Or, oh, why me, God? When, when you don't know the answers to those questions, at least you can know that there's a God who loves you, who's crazy about you, who wants the best for your life, and that he is holy and worthy and loving and present and powerful. And so today I want to talk about how God is self-sacrificing and how sometimes that puts us in direct opposition to God. And because we are not self-sacrificing. In fact, what often puts us in opposition with God is this. And, and uh, if, if you don't remember anything else from today, here's what I want you to hear. This is the one thing that's the most important thing for you to take away today. 
We are a self-satisfying people serving a self-sacrificing God. Isn't that true? Now, I know in our minds we don't like to think like that. Like, we like to think we care about others and that we always put our, their needs first. But, but I've got a friend who says, I can tell what you value by looking at your calendar and your checkbook. And so if I were to pull out your calendar, if I were to pull out your checkbook, if I were to look at your relationships, I think we'd see that this is true. And so I thought I would give you some ways by way of example to show you how I am self-satisfying, but I don't really have that kind of time. We only have 30 minutes today, so I thought maybe instead I'd show you a couple ways that maybe you are self-satisfying instead of self-sacrificing. And so, like, you're walking around downtown Indy, okay? You got 50 bucks in your wallet. You turn the corner, there's a homeless man standing there. What do you do? Well, most of us will look the other way and pray that the light changes soon so that we can cross the street. I mean, most of the time, that's what I do. But why? Well, we can justify. I mean, they'll probably just drink whatever I give them. Uh, maybe they're not really homeless. I had a friend that said that he saw the same guy get out of a car last week and, or go in a car, and he followed him home, and he went to his house. You know, we can, we can justify why we don't want to help people, but the truth is that we are a self-satisfying people serving a self-sacrificing God. Or, or this, moms and dads, it's Monday night. It's been a long day. You get home from work around 7 o'clock. You throw together dinner. You clean up the dishes. You plop in front of the TV. Three minutes later, your son or daughter comes down and sits down right next to you. and says, Mom, I'm bored. Dad, I'm bored. What do you do? Well, if you're like me, you quickly come up with three or four things that they can go do to entertain themselves on their own. Right? Because, I, you know, because I'm a self-satisfying person serving a self. Okay, I'm just kidding. Those aren't about you. They're both about me. We are self-satisfying people serving a self-sacrificing God. Okay, but here's one about you, okay? You wake up on Sunday morning, you're really tired, and the weather's nice, and you don't feel like going anywhere. So even though there's someone here at church that needs to see you, someone that could be ministered to by you, someone who could be served by you, you stay home on Sunday morning. Why? Because you're a self-satisfying person serving a self-sacrificing God. And I get it, because I have to be here. And there are Sundays when I wake up and I think, Man, let somebody else use their gifts for once. Why do I have to do this all the time? You see where I'm going with this? From the beginning of time, God created us to be in a relationship with him. He, he wanted that community with us. The writer of Genesis says that God dwelled in the garden with his people. But, but here's what happened. Those very first people that God put in the garden, they were self-satisfying people. They had their own interest at heart. And so when they heard that if they did the one thing that they were forbidden to do, they could be like God, they did it. They succumbed to temptation, and that put them in direct opposition to God. Now, here's why. In that moment when the first people disobeyed God, God didn't change. All, right, all the attributes that we're talking about in this series, he still had them then. He still has them now. He didn't change. But because God is love, he loved those people. Because God is good, he wanted to save them, just like he loves us today. He wants to save us today. But because he is holy, as Paul talked about here last week, he couldn't be around them. That God couldn't be in the presence of sin. And so he had to kick them out. He showed that there has to be a consequence for sin and disobedience. By the way, if you are one of the people that, that look back and think, I don't really know that that's a true story. I think maybe that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is an allegory. That it's not really true. Um, I can see how you could get there from just reading scripture, but I want to tell you that I don't believe the Adam and Eve story because just because it's in scripture in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I believe the Adam and Eve story because I believe Jesus and Jesus talked about this story as being true. 
And so, because I believe that Jesus was flawless and was without sin, he wouldn't tell a lie. And he talks about this story in scripture. That's why I believe the Adam and Eve story. So anyway, uh, in, in that first moment when those people disobeyed God, God had to show that there was a consequence for sin and disobedience. And I think that we can all admit that you can't be a good parent without showing consequences to your kids, right? We all know parents like that. Quit it, quit it, quit it. Like, stop, or I'm going to tell you to stop again. You know, there's... Like, if there's no consequences, then why is, why is the child going to stop doing what they're doing? You can't be a good parent without showing consequences for people's act, for your kids' actions. And, and if we, as imperfect parents, understand that, how much more does our perfect father understand that? And so their disobedience, those first people's disobedience, forced God's hand, and he had to show them the consequences of their actions. But, as we've said already, God is good. And he wants good for his children. So he made a way to get back to them, to get, get them back to him, a, a way to pay for those mistakes. Now, unfortunately, the cost was blood. It was a sacrifice. It was the blood of an animal. Even that very first mistake, uh, when those first people chose disobedience, Genesis 3 told us that the Lord God made uh, garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Clothed them. Now, where did those skins come from? Well, they came from animals. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This just hit me this week. It just occurred to me this week. Those animals that provided the clothes to cover Adam and Eve after their first sin, those were the first animals ever to die. Have you thought about that? Like in the Garden of Eden, there was no death. There was no destruction. Uh, The Bible tells us that God gave all of the plants and the seeds to the people to eat and all of the plants for the animals to eat. Like animals didn't even eat other animals. There was no death until Adam and Eve disobeyed God and introduced death into the world. And since that time, since that time, there has been blood required to pay for sin. We see it next with Abel in Genesis 4 and then with Noah in Genesis 6 where God sees the increasing corruption on earth and almost decides to just wipe out the whole thing and start over again. Don't you wonder what he'd say now? But he finds one, like one noble man on earth, Noah, and he saves his family. But there's bloodshed. People die. Animals die. And in Leviticus, we see a whole series of rules and sacrifices made as payments for different types of sin. And why? Because God is a bloodthirsty God? No, because he's holy. And he needs to give us some visual of how detestable sin is in his sight. You know, we need to remember, we need reminded all the time that our sin is costly. You know, sometimes I'll talk to people who say, "I, I just don't really understand the cross. Why did Jesus have to die? Like, why did Jesus have to die for me? Couldn't God, in all his, uh, his uh, omniscience, uh, couldn't God, he's all-powerful, he's all-seeing, he's all-knowing, couldn't God just, like, declare the world forgiven? Well, I think that people who say that, who don't really understand the cross, what they really don't get is they don't get the depth of their sin. They don't really understand the detestable nature of their sin. Basically, what they're saying is, you know, if God would just forgive the world, I could do better. But if you could do better, wouldn't you be doing better? God had to show once and for all that sin is costly and only blood could cover it. And so he required a sacrifice. And that brings us to our scripture today. I know you're wondering, is he ever going to get to Genesis 22? We're, we're there now. Okay, let's look at a man named Abraham and a time when God called him to be self-sacrificing. Genesis 22 uh, verse 1 is where we're going to start. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Then God said, take your son, your only son. Remember last week, Paul talked about repetition and how important repetition is in scripture, that when uh, scripture says something uh, twice, it's trying to emphasize it. He says, take your son, your only son. He's reminding us, he's reminding Abraham, you only have one son and you're going to take him, your one and only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. This is a long journey. On the third day, he can just see the place. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while uh, I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. Now, I want you to see something here that in Abraham's mind, sacrifice is an act of worship. He says, we're going to go over there and worship. What he's, what's he going to do? Well, he's planning to sacrifice his son. He's planning to give up the thing that's most valuable to him. And in Abraham's mind, that is worship. So worship to Abraham, sorry, Alyssa's stand. Uh, worship to Abraham wasn't just standing and singing with his arms raised, Right? It wasn't just telling uh, people about the great things that God has done in his life. For Abraham, worship was giving up something of value. It was a sacrifice. That was worship to Abraham. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Note, Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac. He makes Isaac carry his own wood for the sacrifice. Parenting 101 right there. And he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, uh, to Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? You sense Isaac getting a little nervous? Uh, father, we forgot the lamb. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Two things here. I love Abraham's confidence, his faith in God, that God is faithful. And I love Isaac's obedience. You know, he's asking this question. He's a little nervous. Is there any other way this could happen, Abraham, father? And he says, this is the way it's going to be. God's going to provide. And so Isaac just, he's obedient. He just continues on. Why did he go along with this plan? Because his father's right next to him. And he trusts his father. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only son, your son, your only son. There's that repetition again. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. So he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place. The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. See, in those days, the, the names of places actually meant something. Like they named a place that, that meant something. And Abraham was so overwhelmed by his self-sacrificing God, the God that gave up for him, that he called that place on the mount of the Lord that shall be provided. Isn't that incredible? Isn't it hard sometimes to really recognize how God provides for us? 
Isn't it easy for us to look back and point to the ways that we've sacrificed for other people, things that we've given up, time that we've given up, money that we've given? And isn't it much more difficult to remember the places where God has been a perfect provider, even when we didn't understand how and we didn't understand why? Isn't it true that most of the time that we are, when we're not self-sacrificing, isn't it because we really don't trust God to be the perfect provider? I know that's true for me. I mean, when we fail to be generous, whether it's giving to the church, giving to charity, or, or helping out somebody in need, isn't it because we don't really trust God to take care of our financial needs? When we neglect our spouse or family, when we choose rest over serving others, when we decide to satisfy our own needs, what we're really saying is God's not suitable to satisfy them for me. That his self-sacrificing isn't enough. Sometimes we just need to look up and call it what it is. Just look up and declare, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. We need to have that confidence to know, like Abraham did, that that God is going to provide for every need in every situation. But I want you to see something with this story. God didn't just provide Abraham with the lamb for the sacrifice. That would be enough. I mean, God was faithful to that. But what Abraham received was so much more. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because of his obedience, because of his willingness to sacrifice the thing that mattered most in the world to Abraham, Abraham was blessed by God. He received this blessing from God. And I think if I were to go around the room and ask you, would you like to have a blessing from God? Every person in this room would say, yes, absolutely. Give me more, more blessing. I want more of that blessing from God. If I were to come around and ask you, hey, what, would you like God's blessing in your life? Yes, absolutely. Would you like God's blessing in your finances? Yes, absolutely. Would you like God's blessing of another child? Well, maybe not, okay, but... No, Lord, please take take the blessing away. But I think every one of us would want God's blessing. Yes, absolutely. Where's the blessing? Sign me up for the blessing. But, But I wouldn't sacrifice my son for it. I mean, I mean, all about God and and God's blessing. Give me more of him. Certainly give me more of his blessings. But I mean, not my child not willing to give up my child for his blessing. Most of us, most of us can't imagine the pain of losing a child. And I know that those of you in this room that have lost a child, I'm sure you will tell tell us it's the worst pain that you've ever been through. Well, guess what? Someone has already given up their child for you because there's another son whose father marched him up the hill to sacrifice. Another only son Right, a, a son who reminds us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, there's another son who had to carry his own wood up the hill for his own sacrifice. Another son who went obediently because he was in the presence of his father. 
Only this time, when the son got to the top of the hill, there was no other sacrifice because Jesus was the sacrifice. And while God spared Isaac the knife plunging into his heart, he wouldn't spare his one and only son from being pierced by nails, two through his wrists and one through both of his feet. He wouldn't stop the soldier from thrusting the spear into his side to make sure he was dead. See, because we serve a self-sacrificing God, he was unwilling to let us pay the price that we were supposed to pay. In fact, that verse, John 3, 16, is the very definition of self-sacrificing. Let's let's look at this. I want to show you the pattern that God gives us for being a self-sacrificing God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, here's the pattern. Here's the example that God gives to us. First is this, God loved. God loved the world. And he didn't love the mountains and the oceans and the things that he created. He didn't like generically love the world, but he loved the people. He loved the people of the world. He, he looked down and he saw these people that he had created in his own image, you and me, and he loves them. He loves you. He loves me. God looked down and he loved us. And we see this in Jesus. So many times people come to Jesus with their heartache and their sickness and their mess, in their sin, in their disbelief. And scripture will tell us God, Jesus looked at them and loved them. Like he looked at them with compassion. God loved. So, so what was his response? God gave. God loved, so God gave. He gave up something of value, his son. What's another word for that? Well, it's sacrifice, right? That's to give up something you love, to give up something that matters to you. God sacrificed himself for you and for me. God loved, so God gave. Now, what's the result? Here we see this in John three sixteen. Here's the pattern. God loved, God gave, whoever believes. And that word that John uses is the Greek word pistuo. Right? Pistuo is the Greek word. It means to have confidence in. So it's not just a, yeah, yeah, I believe now, give me my ticket to heaven. It's, it's to have confidence in. It, it, this word is deeper than that. It means to, to entrust something to someone. It's, it's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 10 where he writes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If you believe in your heart, pistuo, that God raised him from the dead, God loved, God gave. So whoever believes what? Whoever believes will receive. Will receive what? Eternal life. To live on forever. Now think about this. This is really the promise that God made to Abraham. He said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Your generations will continue on forever. Your name will never die. He's basically giving Abraham the promise of eternity. God provided that sacrifice just like he did for us through Jesus. You know, but each of us has a choice to make about whether we accept that sacrifice or not. Jesus died for all, but the Bible is very clear that not everyone will accept God's sacrifice. Uh, so there's a story told about a professor of religion at a Western college. Uh, he gets to the end of the semester. He realized his students knew a lot about the Bible, but they hadn't really grasped this good news of the gospel. And so he decided to try an object lesson. On the last day of class, he brought a great big box of donuts uh, enough so that everyone in the class could have one. And he called up the strongest guy in the class. Let's call him Steve. <laughs> Calls up the strongest guy in the class. He asked Steve to get to class early. 
And after the students had piled in the room, expecting their final exam, the professor started in the first row with the first student in the first row, and he asked the first student, would you like a donut? And the first student, uh, Jason, said, sure. And so uh, the professor said, Steve, will you please do 10 push-ups so that Jason can have a donut? So Steve did 10 push-ups. Jason got a donut. He went to the second student in the first row. Danny, would you like a donut? Sure. Steve, would you please do 10 push-ups so that Danny can have a donut? He went on down the first row to the third student and the fourth student and the fifth student. And by now, Steve is starting to sweat. The professor gets to the sixth student. Jamie, would you like a donut? No, thank you, she says. The professor says, Steve, would you please do 10 push-ups so that Jamie can have the donut she doesn't want? So Steve does 10 push-ups. It's continued down the first row. By the end of the first row, 10 students, 10 seats. Steve had done 100 push-ups. Each one was a bit more labored than the last. About halfway through the second row, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. The professor gets to Scott, football player. He says, Scott, would you like a donut? Scott says, can I do my own push-ups? No, only Steve can do the push-ups. Scott says, that's not fair. I think I can pay for my own donut. I can do 10 push-ups. The professor says, my classroom, my donuts, my rules. Scott says, no, I don't want one then. Professor says, Steve, would you please do 10 push-ups so that Scott can have the donut he doesn't want? He continues on down the row, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. By now, the tension in the room is growing. First two rows of desks were littered with uneaten donuts. Steve's face was red. It strained with every set of 10 push-ups that he did, and a fair-sized puddle of sweat was collecting on the floor. The professor started in the third row, and as he went through the third row, one late student came bounding into the room. Several students stood up and said, no, wait, don't come in. <laughs> but it was too late. Michael, the professor said, as he came in the room, Michael, would you like a donut? Michael said, yeah. <laughs> Steve, would you please do 10 push-ups for Michael so he can have a donut? Oh, the class groans. Gets to the last row, the last, about halfway down the second row, the professor came to uh, another girl, Linda. And... Uh, the push-ups were getting slower. The grunts were getting louder. The strain on Steve's face was evident. By the time he reached the last student, Linda, he asked Linda, Linda, would you like a donut? Linda couldn't speak. She just looked down, and a tear landed on her desk. The professor laid a donut on her desk and said, Steve, will you please do 10 push-ups for Linda's donut? And Linda yelled at him. I don't get it! Why can't I help him? Because, the professor said, I have given Steve this mission. He is in charge of making sure that everyone in this class has the same opportunity to have a donut. I told Steve that none of you could have a donut unless he was willing to sacrifice for everyone. And as Steve finished his last push-up, his arms buckled, he fell to the floor. The professor looked around at all the uneaten donuts and thought, what a shame to let all of Steve's hard work go to waste. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he breathed his last. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And as he did that, God sacrificed himself so that you and I could spend forever with him. God loved, God gave. Whoever believes will receive. Would you pray with me? 
and as we, as we go to the Lord in prayer, I want you to think about something. I want you to have something in your mind right now. What is that thing, the most important thing to you? What is that one thing that you can't imagine giving up? What is that one thing that you want more of? What is that one thing in your life that, that makes you happy, that brings joy to you? And as you pray and as you think about that thing, I want to ask you two questions. I want you to pray these to God. You can, you can answer these to God. You don't have to answer to me. But I want to ask you this. If you could have more of that thing, but it meant less of God, would you do it? Would you make that trade? I mean, if it's more physical health, if it's more children, if it's more money, if it's a bigger house, whatever it is, if you could make that trade, I want more of that, but less God. Tell God if you'd make that trade or not. And as we continue in prayer, I just want to ask you this. What if that trade was reversed? Like what if God said, you can have more of me, but you've got to give up that thing. You've got to give up whatever it is. You're going to have less of that, or you're going to have none of that, but you can have more of me. You can have all of me. Would you make that trade? Tell God. Tell him if you're all in. Lord God, as I've wrestled with those questions this week, I felt your tug on my heart just to ask our church about that. Like, how committed am I to you? How committed are we to you as a people? Lord, you were so committed that while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. That's, that's all in commitment. God, I want to be that committed to you. I want to be self-sacrificing for you. Lord, for those of us in this room who say, we want to be self-sacrificing, God, help us to do that. Show us the way this week. Help us to know how we can sacrifice ourselves for you and for others uh, so that we can be more and more like you. Lord, you've given us that pattern in Jesus Christ. You've given us our example. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts to make us more like him. I pray these things in his name, Jesus' name, amen.